a dreamer, a unicorn, or let's say a market shaper or an incumbent, how would you define those, uh, you know, in your mind? Who is a dreamer? Who is a unicorn? Just help me with those definitions. So unicorns, I think, um, is unambiguous. I think uh, Eileen Lee, you know, actually coined this term in one of, in one of her reports. She used to work for TechCrunch. So any uh, startup that is valued at a billion dollars or more is a unicorn. That's a bit of an artificial definition, but largely I think every definition tends to be artificial and limiting. So I think we'll accept it for what it is, which is it's a billion dollars in terms of valuation. Mm-hmm. I think an incumbent is, uh, you know, I would say a market leader in a space that is, uh, you know, being eyed by more agile companies. So there is an incumbent and uh, that space uh, is suddenly attractive and new and more agile companies are trying to enter that space. So an incumbent is one that is currently dominating a space which is attractive to new entrants. Uh, If you ask me a market shaper, I think a market shaper is a firm that, uh, you know, is uh, defining a business model, you know, defining a product market fit in a very unique way and on scale it is doing things uh, very differently from the way things had been done in the past, very unconventional. Uh, it is redefining the contours of uh, you know, the marketplace. So I think that would be a market shipper, which is uh, changing the rules of engagement, changing the rules of the game, changing the rules of uh, the product market fit. That would be a market shaper. A dreamer is uh, anyone, I think, uh, who has the imagination and uh, a dream to be either a market shaper or a unicorn. So anyone who has a dream and imagination to do something big is a dreamer, but not yet big. At this point of time, they are not yet big, undoubtedly. Well, that's fantastic. So if I were to use your definition, um, would that dreamer, unicorn, market shaper definition also apply to uh, individuals in their career stages? Would that be a valid conclusion one could draw? Yes, certainly. I think there are a lot of parallels that one could draw between uh, individual careers and, you know, organizational careers, if I may use that word, careers for organizations. So I think uh, parallels between startups, parallels between, you know, phases that they go through and phases that uh, individuals go through in their careers, I think there certainly are parallels. There uh, is a phase in your career when you're a dreamer, you can be a dreamer all your life. There is a phase uh, in your career where you could be a market shaper, where could you could be a thought leader, you could perhaps, uh, you know, influence a bunch of people to think uh, differently on a particular topic. You could clearly be a market shaper. Some people may never graduate to being market shapers, and that's but all right. Everyone need not be a market shaper. So I think there are incumbents too, you know, people who have reached a certain level, certain position, you know, certain status uh, that maybe they need to defend, uh, you know, continuously by staying agile, by staying up to date, because, uh, you know, the younger folks are, you know, constantly learning new things, and they want to be where the incumbent currently is. And at some point of time, I think it makes sense for an incumbent to gracefully walk away and, uh, you know, leave the field for smart young people, you know, to do the show, to continue the show. And uh, it's important then for you to watch from the sidelines, cheer, encourage. So I think um, there are phases in one's life as well. An incumbent is most vulnerable to the dreamer in some very yes. funny way that think about it that, you know, incumbent has everything going for themselves. But at the same time, what they lack is, you know, the desire to be innovative, try out different things. 
I want to take a minute and point out that choosing the right employer is a very important driver of success in your career. So you have to decide whether you want to work for a dreamer, a unicorn, a market shaper, or even an incumbent. Or should you start your own company? Well, in case of Hari, he worked with one large company for 14 years and the next 18 as the head of HR for a series of startups. Because look at it like this. An incumbent is really a market leader whose position is going to be attacked by more innovative and agile companies, which could be either dreamers or unicorns. So if you like a very structured environment with very clear do's and don'ts, which are well articulated, and you hate ambiguity, then a startup may not be a great place for you. Because startups are chaotic, ambiguous, and go through many sharp ups and downs. But then maybe being in a large company like Hari did, and then moving to the head of HR for startups could be a good strategy as well. You can decide for yourself. Retail company that does home delivery of groceries. You can build on this one single line, which is if you need to do home delivery of groceries, then you need to understand what exactly is the customer looking for and why does the customer shop with Big Basket? So we answered this question very thoughtfully. Only if you answer this question thoughtfully, can you build your business in a sustainable way? So the answer to this question, why does the customer shop with Big Basket was, the customer wanted to avoid a visit to the store. If a customer wanted to avoid a visit to the store, and if the customer ordered 17 items on Big Basket, and if you deliver only 15 items and you think you're great, but you're forcing the customer to visit a store for the remaining two items, then the customer might as well buy the remaining 15 items also from the physical store. If the customer orders vegetables from you and you say we do only dry grocery and you force the customer to visit a physical store for vegetables and ice creams because you don't do chilled and frozen, then the customer can buy the dry grocery also from the physical store. So by answering this question thoughtfully, we realize the most important metric for us is called fill rate, which is if the customer orders 100 items, we need to be able to deliver 100 items. And several online companies didn't understand this, which is they thought a 75%, 80% fill rate was good enough. But we realized that, you know, the reason why a customer shops with us, if that reason has to be met then the fill rate needs to be 100%. As a result of which the way we built the supply chain was very different from the way others built it. We built a fruits and vegetable supply chain, which is an extremely wicked supply chain. Nobody has ever attempted to build a supply chain for fruits and vegetables for in India or even anywhere in the world online. I think there may be an exception. Okado may be an exception in the UK. And we also do chilled and frozen items as well. So I think uh, we do home delivery of groceries and uh, we solve for the problem of convenience, which is that, uh, you know, visiting a physical store shopping for grocery is not necessarily a great experience. Unlike, for example, shopping for Diwali gifts or shopping for on festive occasions is an exciting, uh, you know, uh, thing that uh, people can engage in. But grocery shopping is a boring process. So solving for the problem of city traffic, urban traffic in India, urban commute in India, and delivering the stuff home is the problem that we are solving. Brilliant. And, and how many cities are you today present in, Hari? We are present in 26 uh, cities, uh, Abhijit. And, and uh, you know, what makes you decide that you want to pick a particular city where you want to expand? Because 
um, you know, I'm sure the city has its own nuances. Uh, so how do you decide that this is a city we want to next go to? So we look at all the, you know, usual metrics that uh, online companies look at before making an entry into city, which is uh, internet penetration, you know, the average uh, income levels and the type of people. For example, we believe, you know, professionals tend to shop online more than uh, people who, you know, have the same income levels, but um, are, uh, you know, doing private businesses. So, are there a good number of professionals in this city? Are there a good number of MNCs, other companies that employ these professionals in the city? And uh, is convenience uh, an important uh, thing for people in this city? So population, average income levels, the number of professionals, internet penetra- penetration, you know, are some of those uh, metrics that we would look at. What are some of these uh, unconventional, uh, you know, somebody else would not have probably expanded to that city. What is one of those cities which uh, you have taken a bet on and tell us about any one or two cities uh, where you've done that and it it really worked well? In terms of expansion into cities, I think we have been more conservative than the rest. I would say that uh, many other, you know, companies uh, have expanded far more aggressively into new cities than Big Basket. For example, Swiggy, Ola operate in far more cities uh, than Big Basket. I think we've been very conscious because we've always believed that, you know what, a city should be profitable eventually. So if uh, convenience is not important and people, you know, are under the, you know, misguided notion that online shopping means discounts and low price, then that's not the kind of city that we would like to operate in. Eventually, you know, we would want to enter a city only if people believe convenience is important and, uh, you know, are willing to shop online with us and not looking for crazy discounts. Our prices are very competitive in the sense that they are, you know, much cheaper than the mom and pop Kirana stores because most mom and pop Kirana stores sell at uh, the maximum retail price or MRP, whereas our prices are much below usually. But uh, because of economies know, of scale, is it? Because of economies of scale, that's correct. And and so, give me some of the smaller cities where you operate. You know, the smallest city where you operate would be which one? Patna, for example, Lucknow, Kochi, Chandigarh, Jaipur, Surat, Vadodara, <clears throat> Indore. What is the uh, myth about Indian uh, consumer that uh, you had, which got broken? Uh, because you you know of the data that you saw i think uh, consumers you know i can i don't know about a myth but all i can tell you is that from the day when i was growing up to today i think there is a big change in the way consumers shop and uh, the alternatives available to them when we were young you know there was uh, rice was rice was rice today there are so many brands of rice i can't even believe it and there are so many prices, points at which chocolates are available. Chocolate was just simply Cadbury's for us when we were young at best. And gourmet products were not available. There are thousands of gourmet products available. So I think customers are spoiled for choice at this point of time. So just simply, you know, to trace uh, the last 30 years, I think customers are absolutely spoiled for choice. And they are ex- getting to experience uh, global, uh, you know, food products they're open to experiencing global cuisines for which they need these, uh, you know, 
materials which they need to buy to cook those uh, or prepare those global cuisines. So beyond Chinese cuisine, what other cuisines are popular in India? Oh, Mexican cuisine is very popular because the Mexican, uh, you know, food. It's spicy. Spicy and comes very close to the Indian palate. Italian food is uh, very popular. The French cuisine is popular. The, uh, you know, Japanese uh, sushi is um, getting uh, very popular. You can even get uh, the exotic uh, Kobe beef, uh, you know, in many parts of India. If you, you know, look out for it in cities in Bangalore, I certainly know where Kobe beef is available. So, I All think... Right. Uh, Great. Great. Um, so, you know, when you were uh, in the early stages of Big Basket, uh, as it was happening, it was booming. And, you know, in the early stages, you've joined there. As the head of HR, what are some of the systems that you think uh, dreamers should be looking out for, um, which they typically delay too much? What would those be? So I think uh, dreamers tend to uh, delay a bunch of things. So when I came to Big Basket, you know, I found that uh, in some ways it was a great company, you know, had done all the right things. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But I also realized there were several gaps and having been a part of um, high growth startups in the past, these gaps um, were obvious to me very quickly. And for example, um, you know, the way we were structured was we had um, business units structured around regions in the country. So we had Mm. Bangalore as a business unit, Mumbai as a business unit, Pune as a business unit, NCR as a business unit. So Bangalore was a business unit. And each business unit in many ways was self-sufficient, which is all the corporate functions or most of them accepting product, uh, tech and IT infra were replicated in these business units. So HR, training, supply chain, operations, buying and merchandising, all these functions were there in the regions as well. Now, in Bangalore, I realized we did not have a region business unit head, nor did we have an HR head. And the reason why we didn't have these two roles filled was that it was believed that since Bangalore is also, you know, place where the company is headquartered, somehow the corporate leadership team would run the business unit, which is somebody from corporate HR would run the region HR, somebody from, you know, the corporate leadership team would also run the Mm -hmm. Bangalore uh, region business head role. But that doesn't work. You know, that's just being penny wise and pound foolish trying to, you know, do some penny pinching. So uh, every day there is conflict, right? Every day problems need to be resolved. And that needs the region business head to intervene every day to solve problems. And there was nobody in corporate who did that. So, you know, there were several problems that were languishing. And since we didn't have an HR head as well, there were hundreds of people who were being paid salaries who no longer worked with us. There were no systems for tracking attendance. So, you know, we were saying we were saving a cent and we're losing in dollars. So I think that was some of the trend I noticed. For example, I also noticed that we did not have a business head for Pune because the business head for Mumbai doubled up and, you know, spent two days a week in Pune. And Pune also was festering and it wasn't good for Mumbai either. We had grown into a large company, reasonably large company, and uh, we did not have a strong IT infra head. It was being run by somebody who ran the IT infra when the company was much smaller. So things were breaking down. So I think it took the company some time to realize that there is a difference between a good cost and a bad cost. A bad cost is to be avoided at all costs. 
and a bit good cost which is really an investment needs to be incurred because if you don't incur the good cost don't make the right investment then you will be losing money in a big way so that's literally you know penny wise pound fool is a phrase is so powerful you save a penny but you lose in pounds so i think that was one of the big drawbacks and i realized that um, you know dreamers don't figure this out very quickly because you know when they are bootstrapping they think every cost is to be saved but at some point you should realize that there are some good costs so i think that is one when, so how large is big basket now in terms of employee numbers and just give us a, a sense of the size roughly about 30000 people in all uh, abhijit uh, we have multiple employment uh, arrangements some people work for us directly some people are on third party role some people work as micro entrepreneurs but all in all we have about 30000 employees it was quite interesting that big basket which is now definitively a unicorn has focused on profitability for the business which is driven by a very simple definition one is that they describe their own business as doing home delivery of groceries which as we said before is right now already a 600 billion dollar market soon to become a trillion dollars so getting a share of that huge pie is a fantastic business proposition but it means that consumers are also changing because they are spoiled for choice with more brands whether it's for food or anything else which means that every time you add a new item to the shopping cart big basket is adding a layer of complexity so managing that becomes very important but a question i have for you is of course when we think of indians love for chinese products we always think that chinese cuisine is very popular in india but then there is another one which is getting steadily adopted can you guess which one that is but while you guess let me also talk to you about another big insight that i had as i was listening to hari that a very important error that startups commit is in organization structure and design now designing org structures is a very important skill and not everybody does it not every hr person is going to be good at it if you are an entrepreneur you may want to take notes about the next segment where hari now describes the five stages of growth of a business and its challenges so listen in and at which stage you know you talked about the fact that there is a stage after which uh, for a dreamer it becomes necessary to invest in these um, you know these kind of uh, systems one of the big questions that bothers dreamers is that you know systems and policies uh, you know prevent agility that that's what a number of entrepreneurs tell me that uh, you know when you do that that's a very old school way of thinking that you know you put systems are tracking attendance etc it just kills motivation for people uh, what is your take on that uh, startups go through different phases as they mature mm-hmm. and this is something i experienced personally in the last 18 years in the beginning you know i could see and feel you know sense that the startup was going through a phase change i may not have been able to articulate exactly what were some of the changes but i could clearly sense them and i began forming some kind of a theory in my mind in terms of the different phases that you know a startup goes through as it matures at that point of time i also happened to you know serendipitously read this article by larry greener in harvard business review where he has identified the five stages of growth and you know once i read that article everything fell into place you know it was an aha moment for me it was all that i had been looking for and someone had already put the structure 
in place. Anything Can you briefly matters, tell me about the five stages, just quickly, so that all of us know what you're talking about? The first stage is uh, called stage uh, growth through an idea, where the entrepreneur just has a brilliant idea and nothing more than that idea. There are customers who are willing to pay for that product or service. And growth happens just because of the brilliant idea. The problem that a startup then faces is that the founder may not know basics of management, which is how to give feedback, how to you know recruit a tech lead, how to conduct an interview, you know, may not have any of these abilities, know how to do frugal marketing, basic marketing, brand building. So if a founder builds these capabilities by learning, the next phase of growth is growth through direction, where the founder has learned a bunch of lessons and is telling everyone else, this is the way we do things here. The problem that this startup then encounters is that it cannot attract brilliant people because brilliant people do not want to come and be told what to do. So the next phase of growth of the founder figures this out and adapts is growth through delegation, where the startup acquires, acquires a bunch of competent people and lets them lose. Problem that this startup then faces is that it becomes 10 different companies because from 10 different companies, you have recruited competent individuals who pull in different ways, come with different beliefs and create multiple subcultures. If the founder understands this, then the next stage of growth is growth through coordination, where there is a lot of sharing of resources, optimization happening, you know, people working together. In the earlier stage, people did not share resources. They built their own fiefdoms. So fiefdoms get killed. The final stage of growth is that it is a growth through collaboration. The previous stage, which is growth through coordination, creates an element of bureaucracy. What you mentioned, you know, people begin to say it's no longer agile. Why should I submit this report? Why do I need to take this approval before doing something? I no longer have the freedom to do things that I had earlier. Startup gets past this phase. It's more about loose integration rather than a tight integration. So that's the phase of growth through collaboration. So coming back to your question, you know, it's inevitable as a startup grows and becomes more mature, it needs to put in place systems and processes which can hold it together. It cannot behave in the same crazy way as it continued, to, as it behaved in the past. That was good when the firm was small. That was good when things had to get done quickly. That was good when compliance was not so critical, when the law did not look at you, you know, in very, uh, you know, with a lens. But as you grow, you know, if you don't put these things together, then the company can just come apart. The centrifugal forces would just break this company. So it's important to put those things which hold it together. For example, being compliant with the law is one such process. Having a, you know, a policy on prevention of sexual harassment and taking very stringent actions is one of those things that needs to be put in place as you scale. You can't avoid having these in place. You will just break apart. It's simple as that. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, the, uh, if you look at the choices that you've made now, um, what would be, uh, would it be fair to say that the next phase for Big Basket would be to grow beyond the shores of India? And uh, uh, would you ever do that? Or is, uh, you know, grocery so complex uh, that it's hard to, it's hard to scale up like that? Yeah. So I would say that uh, growing beyond India is uh, not something that we, uh, you know, really aspire for, for the simple reason that grocery is a trillion dollar market in India itself. Very soon it will be a trillion dollar market. It's already 600, 700 billion dollars. Uh, 
we are just scratching the surface, not even scratching the surface. Our revenues would be a billion and a half in a trillion dollar market. I think uh, the world is the limit. So the Indian market itself is so huge, even in a city like Bangalore, we're not even very keen to go beyond the 26 cities because we believe that even in a city like Bangalore or, you know, Mumbai or Pune, we're just scratching the surface. The market is so huge. It's, you know, if more and more customers come online from the physical side of things, you know, we have a great opportunity ahead of us. So we can grow 100 times just by, you know, continuing to operate in India. So why, you know, get into a new new geography, try and understand uh, that geography, go through the, you know, difficulties and, uh, you know, spoil the chances of doing better in a much bigger market and getting a much bigger market share. Brilliant. Um, yes, I mean, there are some, uh, you know, like India and China are probably exceptions to that rule where, you know, the mar- domestic markets are, for m- many of the products, big enough to, uh, you know, help the company grow for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, as a HR person, you know, you crafted a promotion policy and I remember reading um, about it in your book. So uh, you talked about the fact that you didn't really care about language skills and, you know, how well the person can make a PowerPoint presentation when you decided to give them a different responsibility. Uh, give me, talk to me about that incident where the, this happened. Right. So let me just give you a quick, uh, you know, background or the context. See, most companies, large number of companies, you know, look for different things when they recruit uh, people. And broadly, you can break it up into three areas. One is ability to execute, ability to think clearly, and ability to communicate. And communication in an Indian context means being articulated in English. Like it or not, that's it. And a lot of large companies, mature companies, multinationals, pay a lot of emphasis to articulation and communication. Maybe their customers require it. Maybe the markets that they operate in require that. But at Big Basket, we took the call. You know what? Everybody needs to execute well. We need to figure that out. Now it comes to uh, uh, clear thinking. We said, you know what? In the regions, if people can't think clearly, not a problem because corporate functions will think on their behalf and put in place processes. And average people backed by amazing processes can deliver great customer experience time and again. So that's the approach we took. And we said communication skills, not important at all. If you can't speak English, if you can barely speak English, not a problem. As long as as you can execute well and in corporate, in addition to execution, if you can think well. And the reason why we did this was very consciously done because, you know, grocery is a low margin business and talent or people cost a significant cost. And the moment you start adding layers, you start increasing the price point. In India, if you add an ability to think clearly over execution, there is a big jump in the price point. And on top of that, if you say that good English, good articulation is important, then suddenly the price point doubles. So we realize that, you know, we are paying for something which we don't really care about. And that, that's the reason why we took this approach. So we have a national supply chain head called Gopala. So this guy grew up, you know, in uh, a village in Andhra Pradesh, did his graduation in a small Mufusil town called Machilipatnam, did several odd jobs in Hyderabad before joining Big Basket as an inventory controller. He's when did he join? He joined, I think, in 2012 or 13. Okay. okay. So now he is just 35 years old and the national supply chain head. He is wow. not particularly articulate. 
if you read his emails you will wonder what he is actually trying to say but in terms of execution terrific in terms of clarity of thought absolutely amazing so you realize you know what there is something called native intelligence which is you can think in your native language and be an amazingly clear thinker and great uh, doer terrific in execution i th- i think we over- tend to overplay you know uh, communication skills especially you know being able to articulate uh, in english i think that's uh, grossly overvalued uh, skill in india what makes a, a dreamer become a unicorn at you know what is the uh, thing that really makes it suddenly take that next jump on the s curve so i'll just give you a parallel you figure this out a little bit easier so for example you know what you might have skills you might have knowledge you might have great skills great knowledge and yet not make enough money because your skills and knowledge are not channelized towards creating a product or service that customers are willing to pay for so eventually commercial success comes to an organization or to an individual if there is a fit between what the individual or the firm is doing and what customers are willing to pay for so i think dreamers to get to unicorns have to create an amazing product market fit they have to create such a beautiful product by understanding the pain points and needs of a customer that customers stand in lines outside your store outside your shop to buy your product they are pushing you for meetings they are pushing you to get your new versions up and out quickly so that's the sign of a great product market fit so i think a dreamer needs to focus on getting a right product market fit and identifying a large addressable market you know in our book pony to unicorn we've talked about this in fact the title says it all pony is a small you know company and unicorn is a large a metaphor for a large company so there we've said you know there's nine steps to get from being a dreamer to a unicorn and very quickly those nine steps are you know first is you need to be part of a large addressable market you can't become a large unicorn by operating in a niche market second is you need to be part of a mega trend you need to be able to spot sometimes you can yourself create a mega trend you don't have to spot a mega trend and you know tap into it you can create a mega trend the next one is you know i would say founder ambition founder ambition is very essential you know without founder ambition it is just not possible for you to scale and become a unicorn foundation is the next one building a great foundation because only on the basis of a foundation can you scale without the wheels coming off otherwise you would end up taking two steps forward and three steps backward without this foundation other than that i think you need to make some strategic choices correct for example big basket greatest strategic choice was to stay with an inventory led model and not an asset light model where we used other stores like big bazaar to deliver stuff we created our own inventory that was a terrific strategic choice make my trip made a strategic choice of pivoting to hotels from you know airlines or air ticketing air ticketing was not profitable but you know hotels were extremely prof- profitable that strategic choice was very important strategic execution is the next thing need to be able to figure out what to focus on what not to focus on what not to do how to do some things well how to innovate continuously i would call that strategic you know execution then i think uh, human capital practices are extremely important getting that piece right dreamers need to get that piece right it's extremely complex and the last two are you know obviously the culture and customer centricity 
customer centricity is all about are you crazily focused on your customer i told you right at the beginning that at big basket we asked ourselves this question you know what why does a customer shop with big basket are you crazily focused on the customer are you listening to the customer and are you creating a great culture are you making the culture work for you rather than against you so these are the nine really components which i think help uh, take a dreamer to become unique hey did you notice that how hari always has a framework that he uses to peek into the future now in the previous segment he talked about larry griner's five stages of growth and now in his new book he describes nine stages of growth and that book is called pony to unicorn great theory and great practice are interlinked one determines the other so don't ever shy away from working with great theory because it can predict the next phase that you are likely to encounter so it is a great way to peek into the future and i think uh, i'm not surprised about uh, big basket success because as uh, you remember hari once i mentioned that my 80 year old aunt Uh, you know, yes, said yes. that you must tell the yes. people in Big Basket, and she recorded a video, video and said to me, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so that's uh, that's how interesting it is. Um, a quick uh, piece of it to your uh, own interests. You have two other uh, involvements. One, I want to just quickly get a view of uh, your involvement in early stage ventures uh, funds and the uh, sort of growth venture funds. Uh, tell us a little about what's the difference between the two. So I work for Fundamentum, which is a growth stage fund. Uh, this is the fund set up by Nandan Lekhani and Sanjeev Agarwal. So I'm a strategic advisor, but um, actually, you know, I play a much uh, more intense role. I sit through all the investment meetings, a uh, part of all decision making. And uh, the early stage uh, VC fund is Arkham, run by Rahul Chandra and uh, Bala Shrinivasan. So you know, at uh, growth stage, you know, the product market fit has already been established. so fundamentum would not invest you know in a scenario or in a product where or in a startup which is still looking for a good product market fit so our investment we make that investment only when the product market fit has been very clearly unambiguously established and this company wants to now scale it could be across geographies could be across customer segments could be whatever but scale is what this startup is raising money for whereas at an early stage you are really backing an idea hoping that you know that the idea is going to disrupt some existing markets or create completely new markets so at, at an early stage you are in some ways you know taking the call on the entrepreneur taking the call on your understanding of an idea taking a call on your understanding of how you know the markets would shape up what new ideas could potentially disrupt existing markets So that is, I think, uh, the big difference. Um, uh, you know, Hari, this is incredible to learn from your insights and ideas. And you know, if there is a question you would like to ask me, what would that be? So I think uh, I've been pretty impressed, Abhijit, by your entire career. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you did work for Tata Steel for a short period of time. I think you I did. Yes, of your, course. Yeah, Vipro as well. and uh, i think at some point of time you wanted to be an entrepreneur so you're doing a lot of these interesting things from podcast to writing books so um, how are you uh, you know how's your life been i'm i'm just curious uh, you know doing all of these uh, interesting stuff writing books doing podcasts uh, doing consulting assignments what's been more interesting this phase of your life or working for one company 
I think it's, uh, you know, uh, you don't enjoy having dessert until you've had the main course. You know, so I think <laughs> that's the answer. True, very true. <laughs> I, I have immensely enjoyed the time that I spent learning in organizations. And now I think I'm having the time of my life. Uh, it's the creative phase of my life and writing books, doing podcasts, drawing and getting paid to do that. What, what can be a better dream to ha- live? So that's my thank you ever so much, uh, Hari. It is brilliant. And I'm hoping that you will continue to write more books. And guys, those of you who have not read Hari's book, I strongly recommend it. If you are an entrepreneur, you must, must read uh, the book that Hari has written, which is about the big basket story. But Hari, I'm told that you've got a slew of books in the pipeline. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, so I think I've made some good use of uh, the lockdown. You know, it lockdown has saved a lot of time. You know, you don't have to commute for 40 hours in every month in traffic. So two of my books are scheduled to be published in December. One is uh, titled From Pony to Unicorn, Scaling Your Startup Sustainably, uh, published by Penguin. The next one is by Bloomsbury, titled uh, Sailing Through a Storm, Making a Crisis Work for You. You know, I was, uh, I realized that the pandemic has, uh, you know, impacted a good number of people. But I also realized that, you know, many of us have gone through crises even before the pandemic. The loss of a loved one, for example, could be a bigger, you know, crisis than the pandemic. So I think I've looked at all types of crises and tried to, you know, uh, find answers to how to bounce back after a crisis. What are the different ways in which you can prevent a crisis? So addressing how to make a crisis work for you. The other four books broadly, I will tell you, one is about diversity. So I've been looking at diversity and I realized that, you know, there are people say a lot of politically correct things about diversity. I said, let's just change this discourse. And the title of the book is saying, you know, diversity beyond tokenism and hmm. seeing through the clutter is the title of the book. The next one is uh, about, uh, you know, find the Zen in your life, um, work, uh, life, and joy in a fast-paced world. And the next one is a book titled, you know, Middle India Rising, Trist with Destiny. Middle India's Trist with Destiny. So I think a lot of uh, forces are suddenly taking shape and I can see that happening in a very big way. And I think uh, this is the right time to talk about Middle India. That's the next one. My God. I mean, Hari, if anybody ever says that, you know, uh, in a startup, you, uh, you know, or a growth phase, you have no time to do anything else, then you are absolutely wrong. Because no. here is a guy who's doing work in Big Basket, which is a unicorn, advising growth stage companies. So he's working with a bunch of dreamers at different stages of growth and has, uh, you know, the time to write a bunch of books, not just one or two. So this is so inspirational. Thank you so very much for talking to us, Hari. Thank Look you, Abhijit. It's a pleasure being on your podcast, as I said. So don't forget to tune in every Wednesday. Dreamers and Unicorns 2.0 has been produced by HT Smartcast. To give it a listen, log on to htsmartcast.com. Or, huh? Are sunye zara se. Kya? This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast.